0: Well, have you ever struggled in the direction that your faith is going? Uh, Again, I need to be more specific here. I'm not not talking about struggling in a relationship with the Lord. Um, You know, for the past weeks months, we've, we've hit on that subject a number of times about the closeness and having that personal time with the Lord. But do you ever struggle with where you fit in? What's your purpose here? Why did God save you? Why did God call you to himself, move in your life in a situation where you hear the gospel truth, open up your heart, and save you from your sin? Why? Why? You know, what's the purpose of this for me now? Kind of interesting, uh, whenever I'm studying on a a certain topic, God always seems to bring it up during the week uh, in individuals' lives. And I had a number of times this week an opportunity to talk to people about the difference between building a church and building God's kingdom. I mean, is is that why I'm here? Is that why we're here today to build this church? Is that our whole is that why you know we come together so we can get bigger, so we can get more people and so we can have more programs and and do more things? Is that why we're here? Is that our focus? Or has God saved me to be part of building his kingdom? I mean, that verse, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Isn't that my purpose here? I mean, I know the church is in this, but my focus, ultimate focus, is to build God's kingdom. I mean, one focuses on the breadth of it, you know, the bigger church. But the other focuses on a depth of relationship and interaction with God. And the church is not the end goal. Our end goal is not this church. Our end goal is the kingdom of God. This is a means of that. This is a very important means. I mean, Christ says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's an important means, but it's not the end. The end is the kingdom of God. That's what we are to be about. So in that kingdom, how do I fit in personally? individually. How do you fit in? How do I fit in? And we have many pictures of scriptures there, or God's trying to talk to us about in that relationship with his kingdom. Um, He talks about a sheep and shepherd, and talks about a potter and the clay. Uh, For the next two weeks, I want to talk and focus on one of those visuals that help us to understand what my purpose is in the church, what my purpose is in the kingdom of God, and, and to be a Christian. And they're going to kind of culminate in our 242 groups that we're going to have next Sunday evening. Uh, You want to take good notes here on the back of your bulletin because, you know, then you'll be ready for the Bible study next week. Because this message and the message next week, we're going to kind of bring those two things together to go deeper into the Word of God. So we're going to be in John chapter 15, if you're not there already. You want to turn to John chapter 15. We're going to talk about the vine and the branches and what God wants to do in our life. The fruit he wants to produce. Um, we're going to answer the question, hopefully, by the time we're done here next week, of why God saved you if you're a Christian. Why are you a child of God? So if you're in John chapter 15, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would, as God's word is read. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me And I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch that dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, so to prove to be my disciples. may be seated. And one thing I want to remind us of is when this message takes place, when Christ speaks these words, we know at this point in the book of John, as he is recording the life of Christ, that Christ is within days of his crucifixion. He's with days within days, and he knows it is coming, where he will shed his blood for his people. And so, it, it, it kind of even puts the microscope even more on these words. Because this is probably one of the longest, if not the longest, message that we have from Christ. Um, you know Matthew or excuse me John chapter 15, 16 and 17. Christ is doing a lot of teaching here, and these words are important. It's almost like his his, his deathbed message. He only has a little time. and so everything he says is it, just amplified even more. The listeners of this message, he's specifically talking, to his disciples during this time. And Christ is beginning to teach them about God's working in their life and and him going away and what's going to happen and take place. And he's telling them all this in this whole message so that they wouldn't become discouraged or disillusioned or lost. Like, now what? Where am I? What's my purpose? I'm one of Christ's disciples. He's been crucified. He's gone. What am I supposed to do? And so Christ begins to, to speak to them. And, and again, his sensitivity to them not being about him. I mean, he's about to be crucified. You would think they would be. It'd be all about him, but no. His his focus is upon them. It's upon you. It's upon me. As he speaks these words, he gives a metaphor here in these eight verses of a vineyard. We're going to go ahead and do we got a vine thing up here. Hopefully, we have got that. Put a picture up this for you because since we don't do so much agriculture and we don't grow so many grapes. Um, it's not as common to us but it would have been very common to them. Do we have that or not? I had it. I don't know where Okay. How old are you? You don't have that excuse. <laughs> That's my excuse. Uh, all right. Well, we'll he'll, he'll eventually get it up here. But if you've ever seen uh, pictures of a vineyard or or grapevines, this is the vine and, and the illustration that he is talking about. And, and when you look at that, Christ in this illustration, he is the vine. Uh, we might call it of a tree. we might call it the trunk. He is that main part um, that goes up from the ground and, and grows up. It's the, the sturdiest part of, of the whole plant. Um, he is that main trunk. Um, out of that, that vine, the branches come out. We are the branches. Christians are branches. And out on the branches is where fruit is born. And that's the whole point of the, the vine. And that's what Christ is saying. What is my purpose here? God, why, do I, why, why do you have me? Why did you save me? It's so that we might bear fruit for his kingdom. This is all about his kingdom. And he's bringing in this, this tremendous illustration, this tremendous picture where Christ is the vine You know, we are the branches. You know, the fruit is our good works, those things that we do for the kingdom. Those are the things that are produced out there through the branches. God the Father, in this illustration, he is the vine dresser. You know, he comes into the vineyard. His primary focus is on the branches that bear fruit. I mean, he's like that farmer. And the whole point isn't to have a a nice, good-looking plant. The whole point is to have fruit. All right. So that's the illustration that we're looking at. And, and again, this would have been very much ingrained in their minds, this understanding of, of what a vineyard was all about. You know, God, the Father, the vine dresser, he is always moving to bring about more fruit, more fruit, as much possible fruit as He can. And that might be a shock to us, that God's purpose in my life is not to make me happy. God's purpose in my life is to make me fruitful to make me purposeful in my kingdom. And in this metaphor of the vineyard, there are f- four different branches that are identified here uh, throughout these eight verses. And also it tells us about how God moves to bring about more fruit from each of these branches. You know, uh, in verse 2 it talks about no fruit. Then it talks about people who have fruit and people who bring much more fruit into that. And then in verse 5 it talks about even bringing abundant fruit or, or much fruit Well, this morning, we're going to focus on just one of them. We're going to focus on no fruit. No fruit. How does God the Father, how does the vine dresser, how does our Lord and Savior, how does he respond and work within a Christian when they are bearing no fruit? I mean, I'm talking about for an extended period of time when their life is becoming fruitless. Well, if you can look at your life, so if you can look at your life and you can see that, you know, you really don't have any discernible fruit for God's kingdom. You know, maybe we'll call it good works, whatever it might be. If you don't have something, some time, how can I expect God the Father, the Vine Dresser, to act in my life? What's he going to do? How is he going to act with, interact with me as a Christian? Well, verse 2, it says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Let's first deal, most importantly here, let's first deal with what this is not saying. Some people would look at this and point at this as, this is saying that you can lose your salvation. That you can come to a place, if you're not being fruitful for God, that, you know, you you he takes your salvation away. Folks, if that were true, that would contradict a lot of other scripture that says once we are saved, we are always saved. Once we are genuinely saved, you know, it is God who saves us. It is, it is God who keeps us saved. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, it says, For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to protect what I have entrusted to him until, until that day. He is able to protect what I have entrusted unto him that day it's not about me it's about him salvation is the work of God keeping me safe protecting that salvation is also a work of God it says in Romans 8 chapter 35. It says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And he goes on a, a long litany list of, of, of things that might separate us from the love of Christ. Comes down to verse 38. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities you know, nor, nor things present nor things to come nor powers. Verse 39 says, nor heights nor deaths nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Makes it pretty definitive, isn't it? Once, once I am a Christian, what I am true, once I am truly a child of God, there isn't anything, not even myself, because I'm a created thing, no created thing that will ever be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 28. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's a pretty definitive statement. No one, you know, I give it to them. They will never perish. No one will be able to take them out of my hand. So it's obvious that that's not what this is talking about in John chapter 15. You know, when it talks about every branch in me that beareth fruit, he taketh away. You know, what, what, what is he talking about here? You know, what, what, what does God do with a Christian was not bearing any fruit for the kingdom. Well, it says he taketh it away. Some translate it, if you have, I think it's a King James, it says he cuts it off. Well, the Greek word for that phrase, cuts off or takes away, it's the word arrow, A-I-R-O, airo. Now, I'm, I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, and I, I took enough of it in college probably just to be dangerous, you know, but, but I did learn some things about Greek. And one of the things in Greek is, um, in translating Greek to English, there are a lot of words that in Greek, when you translate to English, they could be translated a lot of different ways. They could have a lot of different meanings. It doesn't smoothly trans over. And arrows is one of those words. Um, The Greek word for arrow can also read take up or lift up. It can also be translated like that. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, it is translated like that. In Matthew chapter 14 Verse 20, you remember in their feeding of the 5,000? They come to the very end of that and it says, And they did all eat and they were filled and they took up. It's the word arrow there. They took up the fragments that, rem- and there remained 12 baskets. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 32, the word arrow is used to translate carry or bear. And it says there, And they were coming out. They found a man of Cyrene named Simon whom they pressed into service to bear. His cross, talking about Christ, to bear. In other words, he carried the cross of Jesus Christ. And 1 John 5 2, error would be better translated, taken up and lifts up. I mean, that's what it's talking about here. In verse 6 of this chapter, God's going to deal with false branches and what he does with false branches. But it's very clear he's talking about Christians here. Matter of fact, he says, every branch in me, he says. So it's very obvious that he's talking about people who are in Christ, who are born-again believers in Jesus Christ. And again, I think it, it, you know, when, in the translation, it's kind of up to the translator to choose how he thinks it best fits, and, and I just think he, he didn't choose well here. Um, and there's other portions of Scripture talks about it being lifted up. Um, kind of interesting, and it very much fits here, that this should read, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he lifts up. He lifts up. What does it mean that he lifts up? Well, in my study of the vineyards, um, I found, um, just like if you do very much gardening, you know, tomatoes, whatever it might be, you have leaves, you have plants, you have vines that tend to grow along the ground. And when they grow along the ground, what happens with them? Their their leaves get all dirty, the fruit gets rotted, it gets moldy, mildewy. I mean, it gets wet. So what do you do to it? You lift it up. You prop it up. And that's exactly what happens here. A vine dresser, when it's going through its vineyard, if it finds that a sprout, one of the vines, is growing along the ground, it lifts that vine up and it ties it to the trestle. I mean, it doesn't cut it off. It's way too valuable. It can produce fruit and it wants it to produce fruit. But he doesn't also just leave it on the ground. Oh, look at that vine there. And just lets it go. God, the Father, the vine dresser, does something in a believer's life, when he is not actively producing fruit. And what he does is he lifts it up. He lifts it up. He cleans it off. He, he ties it up. So when, when branches fall into the dirt, God doesn't throw them away. He doesn't abandon them, but he lifts them up, and he cares for them. He helps them flourish again. I kind of thought about this illustration. You think about this, what happens when a vine is growing along the ground. It it gets dirt and all sorts of stuff, and that dirt kind of chokes out at being able to get the sunlight and everything else that it needs to grow. Um, Sin is kind of like that in our life, isn't it? If you're a Christian, sin has a way of, of kind of getting us dirty, getting us messed up before God. The question is, and I think this is directly what it's talking about here, when a Christian gets involved in sin, what does God try to do? What does the, the vine dresser try to do? How does the vine dresser lift us up? How does he, he clean us? If your life is constantly bearing no fruit, if your life is covered with sin, God will intervene in your life, and he does it. How does he clean us up? He does it through discipline. He will discipline you. Scripture makes it very clear of this. Note the vine dresser initiates the cleaning here. And so God initiates the cleansing of our life through discipline. It's an important process. It's an important part of our faith that we understand that God disciplines us when we fall into sin. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5, says, So you are to know in your hearts that the Lord your God has, was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. God disciplines disciplines us. Now, before we go too far here, I want to clarify a few things concerning God's discipline here. Um, discipline, you hear the word, and it sounds negative. And the truth is it is. Discipline is negative. It's, it's a negative, awful, a painful action that is taken to help bring about a correction for one's own good, to make them better. Okay, so So that's true, but don't interpret every negative thing that happens to you that somehow God is disciplining you. You know, something bad happens, and you're, you know, what have I done before God? You know, God is displeasing. That's not necessarily true. Sometimes life just happens. You know, I mean, we live in a sin-fallen world, and sometimes bad things just happen. Life stinks. Life is not fair. And sometimes the things that are happening to us are just part of being in life. And also, don't think that God would hurt Another person because of your actions or your sin. You know, if you're living in sin, if your life is dirty, you know, don't look at your your family or things that are going on to other people and think, ah, it's because of what my life. Folks, God doesn't give your mother cancer because you're living in unforgiveness. That doesn't happen. When when your son acts up, you don't you don't smack his brother, you know. (laughs) You don't send his brother into a corner. God deals with us directly. Also, don't look at others and try to judge them. You see something going on in their life, something bad, and you think, wow, what have they done to God to deserve this? Folks, we should never play God with each other. Kind of like the Pharisees concerning the man that was born blind, you know, who sinned him or her, his parents. Surely something had to have done something. No, folks, sometimes life just happens. And we're not supposed to play God. Matter of fact, you know when you are involved in continual sin. You know it. You can make the connection. God wants you to make the connection that what is happening in your life is directly related to getting your attention concerning that sin that you're involved in. So you can do it yourself as long as you're involved. We don't need to necessarily be doing that to other people. You know, God will deal directly with your sin. And then finally, most importantly, we need to remember that God's discipline is always just one aspect of God's interaction with us. I mean... When you reprend, reprimand your child, it doesn't mean you stop caring for them. It doesn't mean you start talking, stop talking to them. It, you know, it doesn't mean you don't care about them or you, know, you don't want them loving you in return. Satan would love to convince you that when we are being disciplined by God, that somehow we have fallen out of God's favor, that God doesn't care about us anymore. Matter of fact, the, the exact opposite is truth. Only if you have never received discipline should you doubt God's favor. We're going to look at some verses. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He chastens every son he receives. So all of us, he is working, the vine is constantly working in our life to bring about more fruit and to eliminate those barriers, sin in our life, that prevent that fruit. God always disciplines those who bear no fruit. Now, for some, that might alarm you. You're thinking, well, does God really bring, does God allow something painful in my life because of my sin? The answer, it might surprise you, the answer is yes. God definitely does this. And probably the most comprehensive understanding of God's discipline is given to us in Hebrews chapter 15, 5 through 8. We're going to put it up on the board, but you might want to turn there. We're going to be there for just a little bit here to the end of the message. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 8. It says very clearly there. I'm going to read it back here. It's so small back there. It says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. What son is he whom the father chastens not? But if we be without chastisement, therefore all whereof we are all partakers, then are ye bastards and not truly sons. I mean, that makes it pretty clear, doesn't it? That we are, if we are disciplined, when we are being disciplined, it's because we are God's children, we are God's sons. And there's three points, there's a lot here, but there's three points I want to emphasize. Number one, God is the source of this discipline that he's talking here. God is the source of the discipline. Number two, he disciplines all believers. And number three, he always does this in love. It is an act of love when he disciplines us. Because when we allow sin to block our ability to bear fruit, God always is going to come to intervene. Discipline is God's proactive answer to moving out you out of being barren and fruitless to move you towards a fruitfulness. You know, discipline is God's strategy for cleansing our lives. Now, as you look at those verses, you'll see there's, there's, there's three degrees of discipline or intervention that God takes in a person's life. And and again, they're just identified here. And, um, you know, I'm I'm sure there may be even more, but we're going to focus on these three here. Um, and maybe we'll put a picture out there. So, yeah, Most of you are, parent, are parents here. And if you're not a parent, you remember what it was like to be a child sitting at the dinner table. And when one of my children would act out at the dinner table, when they first start acting out, what do you do? Usually you just try to make eye contact with them. And, you know, just a look, a tilt of the head. A, that's enough, isn't it? You know, you communicate to them and make some eye contact. You're telling the child what? You're telling them, cool it. And, Usually that works, doesn't it? But if they persist, if they ignore that, if they ignore your looks, then you briskly do what? You say their name, Jimmy. And if it's really bad, you use their middle name, Jimmy Robert. You know, and they get the, you know, they, they get the word there. If that doesn't work, what do you do? Well, maybe you, you send them away from the table, you know, you give them a, a swat on their behind his sleeve whatever it might be. Well, you know, in Hebrews chapter 12, God uses three degrees of discipline as well. He doesn't do the same for every searcher. A situation. He uses three words to describe discipline for us in verses 5 and 6. He talks about rebuking us, chastening us, and scourging us. And there are different degrees of discipline. Let's talk about rebuking. A, a rebuke is like a verbal warning. That might be like that look you're giving your child. You know, we hear God's rebuke even though we don't always choose to respond to it. And, folks, I, I think God is constantly in our lives doing this, you know, nudging us, getting us in the right direction. Stay away from that. We need to do that. God is constantly doing that. And, and we hear that voice. Sometimes, we, often, we ignore it, you know, ignore what trying, uh, God is trying to do. You know, he does this in numerous ways. He can do it through a friend saying something to you. It could be the voice of God through the message, through your devotions, reading God's word even just that that prick of your conscience that still small voice god is trying to direct you he's trying to correct you he's trying to protect you and these verbal cues that god is constantly giving in our life they're like the frequent pleas of a father to their child you know and and i think they are far more common than any other kind of discipline that god is trying to kind of nudge us along but if however we harden our hearts if we close our ears, then we force the father, just like you would as a child, to kind of up the ante a little bit to get our attention. So the second degree is that of chastening. Chastening. For whom the Lord loves, it says he chastens. Now, chastening can often be the removal of something in your life that used to bring you joy. Um, you know, for a parent, you may you know, make the child, you know, uh, leave the dinner table without dessert. Or no TV that night. Or take their phone away. And uh, many Christians, we bump along in this level of discipline. But we fail to read the signs. And you talk about God taking something, you know, just like you as a, a parent would take something that the child likes. Taking that away from them or taking the joy away. I, I see so many Christians, they'll, they'll talk about their faith. And, and they, they, they say they feel unfulfilled. You know, they don't have the joy that they used to have. You know, they're, they're on the outs with their Christian friends, and they, when they pick up the Bible, it feels like lead in their hands. You know, their relationship with the Lord seems, you know, it, it seems fabricated and not real. You know, if any of these symptoms sound familiar, you need to look at your life. Because God, when we have sin in our life, that joy of our relationship is hindered. And so something that we have joy in, some that interaction with God is, is taken away. Now, unfortunately, often, you know, we get to this kind of a situation in our life. We look and say, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm not getting anything out of the messages or, or the church or anything like that. And, and it's, it's easy to blame the church. It's easy to blame the pastor or blame something else. But what God wants to do is look at our heart. Why aren't you getting anything out of the message? Why, why isn't the church you know, why aren't it meeting your needs? And you know, you had that joy going there with them. See, God, that joy of our salvation, that joy that David had removed for him, from him when he was in sin. God took that joy away. And so that's what he often does in our life. He removes that joy. The third degree is the word scourge. Doesn't that sound bad? He scourges us. Well, it is bad. You know, scourges every son whom he receives. That word scourge there is the same word used to describe what they did to Jesus before he went to the cross. The beatings that Jesus took, the scourging. So yeah, it is a bad word. You might say, what percentage of Christians do you think have ever experienced scourging? (laughs) My answer is going to shock you. The percentage of Christians that have received the scourging of the Lord is 100%. Every son, he says... Every person. That means that you most likely have already been scourged in your life. There's something at at a time in your life that God has really deeply had to get your attention and you were ignoring him. And at this level of discipline, you are living in open sin, you know, flagrant disregard for what you know is right and what you know is wrong. You may not, uh, you know, you may not have heeded the attempts by God to give you that still small voice, Or maybe God to take the joy away, but God then moves into your life because of your open rebellion. He ups it. Why? Because he hates you? No, because he loves you. And he cares for you too much to let you go without any fruit. C.S. Lewis once said, God whispers through pleasure, but he shouts through pain. He whispers through pleasure, but he shouts through pain. God takes long-term sin seriously enough. Consider the biblical example of the Corinthian church. If you know anything about the early church in Corinth, Paul wrote them, 1 Corinthians, a lot to correct their sin. The divisions that they're, they had amongst them, they were in immorality. I mean, immorality, they said, was to the point that even the unsaved world doesn't participate in. So they are living in this open sin, and then they're coming together, and they're having church. And, uh, God, you know, Paul reminds them, well, God says that this can't happen, you know. They're sharing communion as if nothing is wrong. So Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 11.30, 30, he says, For this cause many are weak because of all this sin. Many are weak and sickly among you, and many have fallen asleep. In other words, because of this, and God is moving. God, you know, some have lost strength, some have become sick. And he says, Some have even died because of this, this open, blatant sin. Now, I'm not one to say when God is going to. Move at what point? But at the very least, let's take the seriousness of this from God. How serious he is about the sin in our life, and he wants to to help us get past that sin, to lift us up, to clean us up, so that we can bear fruit for his kingdom. I mean, do we understand the truth of what God does with fruitlessness? I mean, how important it is for God that we bear fruit You know, if you're wondering why you're here, why you were saved, you were saved to bear fruit for God. And if you're a Christian, he will do whatever it takes to get you in that game, to get you to back bearing fruit. So now, if you see yourself at this point, you say, you know, I am fruitless for God. What do I do? Well, the Bible's word for what you do is Repentance. Repentance means a change of direction. It's a 180-degree turn. We repent repent by confession. We we confess ourselves to God. We confess, God, you are right. I see things as you see things. I see wrong as you see wrong. And we connect with God. We confess that, that it is wrong. And we ask God to forgive it. And sometimes it's very easy for us to look at our life and to discern maybe sinful areas in our life. You know, we have open acts of sin or anger or someone stealing things or lying or immorality, whatever it might be. Sometimes it's not so easy to discern that the sin is in our life. You know, sometimes our sin comes from not forgiving someone who has wronged us. You know, we become bitter and and we haven't dealt with that sin and God wants us to deal with that, 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 that sin of bitterness in our hearts. And you know, it can be someone very close to us, but, but we're not seeing it because we're only seeing what that other person did to us. You know, they hurt me. I'll not forgive them. You know, thus I'm being held captive. And the dirt of sin is just building up on my leaves. And it's hard for us to, to let God root that out, but it's necessary to let God root that sin out of our life. And then we also have to remember, you know, repentance of our sin, it's not a one-time thing. Repentance and confession to God is a, is a lifestyle. It's that ongoing, taking the things to God, hearing his still small voice, leading us when he points something out in our life and taking it to God at that moment and asking God to forgive us and confessing that to him. You know, each of us is invited. When we, when we confess to God, we are invited God. We are giving God permission to cleanse us, to purify us so he can use us so we can bear fruit. Now I'm going to ask the worship team um, if you guys can come up at this time. I want to talk to you a little bit why they are coming up about this. I want to take time in this service. You know, I, the last thing I want to do is, is talk about the need to confess and the need to repent and you know, looking at our lives and seeing how God is dealing with us without giving you an opportunity to right where you're seated, to, to speak to God. And, you know, I don't need to know if, if God needs to know. God needs to, to know your heart, where you are concerning your fruitfulness. If you're looking at your life and you see no purpose, you know, no direction, you don't understand why you're saved. You can't see that fruit there. You know, I'm going to give you this time to maybe evaluate, to speak to God, Talk to him. Take some time to confess to him. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, so don't feel like, oh, you know, if I do that, then, you know, that next step. You know, this is between you and the Lord. To speak right where you're at, the most important thing for you to go away from here. Your purpose this week is to be fruitful for God. And sin in our life hinders that. And so let's go ahead and uh, we're going to just play the piano, if you with that first song Only Trust Him. Just play that quietly. I'm going to give you guys a chance to pray, to speak to God, Then I'm going to have a word of prayer with us, and then Let's pray. Father, I so thank you that that you hear our voice. You hear the cries of our heart. Lord, as we have humbled ourselves before you, because, God, we want to be fruitful for you. You have a purpose for us. You have a reason that we are your children. It's not just an add-on to our life, God. And so, God, I want to do all I can for you and for your kingdom. But as we have specifically focused on this area of sin that hinders our fruit. I thank you for your love and your compassion for us. Father, you knew these things were going on in my life and our lives here before we brought them before you, but God, you wanted us to see it as you see it. so you can clean and you can heal us. Thank you for that as hearts have opened up to you. I thank you for fresh starts. I thank you for new life in Jesus Christ. In thy name we pray.